Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. Welcome to all of our campuses today. We're so thankful for all God's been doing in this series. We've been in this series called Live in Love, talking about our relationships, our marriages, or our dating relationship, and how are we growing. And each week in this series, you've heard from a different couple in our church, uh, on our staff team. And today, I want you to hear from Chase and Courtney Baker. And uh, many of you guys know Chase is our family pastor here at Rolling Hills and just an amazing man of God. And they're an awesome couple together. And so Chase, Courtney, thank you so much for sharing today. And uh, tell us a little bit about how did you guys meet? That's a great uh, story. We actually met in elementary school. So we were in fifth grade. We went to the sixth grade dance together. And we actually have a picture of a sixth grade dance of you really can't see me because Courtney looks like a giant next to me <laughs> because I just I haven't grown into my own yet. We have not been together since sixth grade. We have not been together because since Chase grade. made a very critical error and broke up with me immediately after the sixth grade dance. And yes, yeah, so that, that was the end. Yeah, so we were I mean, we still were friends and we went to church together, we went to school together, and her senior year of college she came back. And I was in a wedding and really, I mean, you saw this handsome man <laughs> up there with a tuxedo on. You're like, that's the guy I'm going to marry. And the rest is history. That's how. Full disclosure, I did think he does look a lot cuter than he used to look. And, you know, but it did start a friendship that yeah. slowly turned into much more over time, which was a great foundation for a marriage. Yeah. What is your biggest joy and what's your biggest challenge you think in marriage? For us, it's been wonderful to experience new things together. Chase plays golf. So I decided, you <laughs> know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take golf lessons so that we can go do golf together. Like recently I've gotten into gardening and Chase helped me build beds for my gardening. We've we done boxing classes together. We've done all kinds of things where it's just fun to experience these new things together. And kind of this emphasis of like, hey, if you're interested in something, like I'm gonna try to like lean in and just see, I may not love golf because um, it frustrates me so much, Jeff. I don't understand. I don't That's us too. What are y'all doing with golf? <laughs> like what? I don't get it. But it's just been so wonderful over time to continue to develop things that we're interested in and, and what we learned together through that. And we've just had a lot of fun, honestly. On the challenging side, I would say uh, communication has always been the hardest part. And obviously that changes in different seasons. Some seasons are harder and easier. You know, right now we have two small children. We both have full-time careers. So there's a lot of factors at play that make it even harder. You know, it's like every time that you think, you know what, we're doing so great at community. You know, we're really in sync. And then something happens and you're out of sync and then you have to just yeah. keep working towards that. And, and continuing to see, you know what, I was made in the image of God and it's wonderful and good. And he is also made in the image <laughs> of God and it's wonderful and good. And you know, just learning that is challenging and, and wonderful. Yeah. How do you keep Jesus at the center of your marriage? That's such a great question. And I, I would say that it's easy, like it's really not. It's something that 
you know, we, we don't wake up each day and say, man, this is glorious. Like we don't have, this is so easy for us. It's a battle to keep Jesus at the center. We can't just assume Jesus is just going to be there. We have to fight for it. And so a couple of ways, I feel like practically we've done that over time. I, I say pray for one another, but more specifically that, know specifically how to pray for the other person. I've had to learn over time how to communicate needs and emotions to be able to best pray for one another. The second thing I would say, like, just do our best to talk about Jesus. Mm. What is God doing in your life? You can't keep Jesus at the center of your marriage if you never talk about him. Mm. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's a, hey, let's let's find moments throughout the week to talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus to others and, and to our kids. And, and as a family unit, just talk about Jesus. And I would say the last thing might be the most difficult, serve one another, um, being intentional with it. And what we found is not just serve one another, but serve others as well. Make that a part. It, Courtney does an incredible job serving um, at the eight o'clock service with the preschoolers. Um, and just make that a, com- a conversation in our, in our lives. Because the reality is the serving, what we believe connects us not only to one another, it connects us to Jesus. And so we look at Jesus's life and one of the things he, he expresses is serve other people. And, and this is the, we have to let go of our wants and our desires. And sometimes in order to best serve, to be able to go low in order to elevate the other person. I think that's a large part of what marriage is. And as difficult it is, sometimes we've got to let go of our, our desires and our wants and go low in order to elevate your spouse. Thank you guys so much for sharing, man. We just love you personally, just love your heart and uh, the way you love each other and your marriage is contagious to all of us here at Rolling Hills. So thank you for sharing today. I don't know about y'all, but I'm very interested in how boxing classes helped their marriage. Um, I can't imagine a scenario where that would be a good thing uh, for Rebecca and I. So, uh, hey, John chapter 13 is where we're going to be this morning. I invite you to open up to John chapter 13. As I said earlier, we kinda, we're wrapping up this series uh, called Live and Love. And this week we're going to talk about legacy. I'm going to talk about uh, leaving a legacy of love. And how do you leave a legacy of love? And there's three things that I feel like are really kind of uh, important for us to to really wrap our minds around or just kind of, I guess, actions that I, I want to kind of share with us. And, and I'll say this from the very beginning. Uh, this morning's going to be a, a, a little bit different uh, in that the really what we're going to be is, a, is fairly practical, I think. I, I think that, that what, I, what I really want to do is, is the bulk of our time, hopefully you'll see the same, is that, that we're going to be practical. We're just going to talk about a couple things that I think are really important for us to do uh, some actions that we can take um, that'll be that, that'll kind of help us set the tone for and and leave a lasting uh, or leave a legacy of love uh, for those who come behind us. Uh, and and just so again, just to, John chapter thirteen is where we're going to be. But uh, hopefully you can kind of follow along in that, and uh, you have your worship guide there. With those those three main points, and you can kind of fill in some blanks underneath that. The the question to begin is what is a legacy? Right? What is a legacy? And, and, and so often, uh, I think the, the, we, we think about legacy in a couple different places or a couple different ways, but legacy is ultimately just kind of at its, at its truest, easiest form. It's what we leave behind us. 
right? It's what we leave to those that, that will follow us. And, and the, those that follow us could be our kids. It could be uh, the people that we work with, right? You have a legacy that you're leaving at work whenever you leave that job to move to another spot. If that's what you do, you have a legacy in your neighborhood as you move from, we just recently moved to Columbia from, uh, from our house in Spring Hill where we've lived for the past. We have a legacy there. I'm a legend there is really what I would say. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, but we have a legacy there. There, there's, there's some things that, that probably our neighbors remember about us, and that's our legacy. And so probably good, not all of them are good. So, so there's, there's things that we leave behind us. And, and you can think about a legacy in a couple different ways, right? There, there's the monetary, the, the monetary kind of the assets that we leave behind us. That's a part of legacy. Uh, maybe, maybe you've set up some kind of legacy giving or you've, you've done your, your uh, will and those kind of things. And so you know that you're going to leave things to your family. And that's great. That's a great legacy to leave. There's also the legacy that's your faith and your ethics and your core values, right? There's the legacy that's a part of your character, your reputation the reputation, the life that you've led and, and setting the example for those uh, that, that'll follow you and for their futures as they move forward. And so they're ultimately what we're talking about in that <clears throat> is what we leave behind. I talked to one of the um, pastors, actually the our pastor who leads our um, Prime Time, which is like 55 up group, and it's a growing population at our Franklin campus. We have a, a small group of ladies that are that are considered Prime Time uh, that have a community group or a small group that meets on Wednesdays. Uh, that's a grow like that's done a great job of just reaching neighbors. They they do a fantastic job uh, of that. Miss Sherry leads that group. But you know, just kind of when I was talking to Mike Minter, who's he's actually preaching at the Franklin campus this morning, he he made this comment that I thought was really interesting. That kind of delineated some of those things that we talk about when we talk about her- the, leg- the legacy that we leave. And, and on the one side, he says inheritance, he said this, that inheritance is what you leave to those that come behind you. He said legacy is what you leave in them. That I can leave a lot of things to my kids. There's going to be an attic full of things that they don't care about that I'm going to leave to them right? Things from first grade that I was like, we should throw that away. And I got overruled on that. They're going to get those things. (laughs) They can throw them away if they want to. I don't care. But there's things that I'm going to leave in them. And those are the things that really matter. And that's the legacy that we want to talk about today. What we will talk about is, is what we leave in those that follow us. And so if you have your Bible and we're going to read this passage, uh, just a short passage will kind of be our, our core kind of central spot in John chapter 13, where Jesus is talking to the disciples. It'll be on the screen behind us. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where it says this and follow along there. It says, a new commandment that I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we uh, celebrate, God, what you are doing and and celebrate all the the ways that you're moving in um, your body here and our lives as individuals, God, in in, in their families, God, as we get to dedicate and, and recognize, God, that we give this gift that you've given us back to you. In uh, in Emerson and Rhodes, God, we just thank you for for that moment. And God, we just pray that this that as we work through this passage of scripture and try just God just to ask some practical questions about what it means to leave a legacy, what it leave means to leave a mark for those that are behind us. God, I pray that you would give me clarity. Uh, you know, my mind is racing in all kinds of ways, and so I pray that you would give me clarity and give us just a just a calmness to be able to work through this passage together. 
and to hear what you want us to hear. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. First thing I think that we have to do if we're going to talk about leaving a legacy or how to leave a legacy of love. It hit me this week as somebody said this phrase and it just kind of stuck and it became a part of the outline. And, and this, this, the first one is this, that we just have to press pause. I think if the first thing that we have to do and when we talk about leaving a legacy and, and what's going to come behind us, what we're going to leave behind us, I think that if we don't press pause on, on where we are and really kind of evaluate what's going on, then, then I think we're going to miss out on truly leaving the legacy that we want to leave behind us. In Hebrews, it says this, that we have, that, that we have this great cloud of witnesses. There, therefore, he, the writer of Hebrews says that, therefore, since we have, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. I, I think we have to press pause and look back at the legacy that we've been left. What's been left in us? And I, I, I know that, you know, without a doubt, there's those, those of us in the room that there's, there's parts of things that have been left in us that maybe you don't want to remember. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to dredge up things that you've put behind you, but I think that there's important for us to, to pause and to realize what's been left in us. Some of the things that we have there, some of the positives and some of the negatives. I, I want to speak to the negatives first and, and just, just the reality that, that yes, those are negative. Maybe they were hurtful, scarring things. And, and I would encourage that there are those things. I mean, maybe you need to work with somebody else to work through those things because the legacy that you want to leave or that's been left in you, you don't want to carry on to something else. But even in those moments, God was not absent. Maybe it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this, but God was not absent in those moments and he wants to use it according to scripture. Romans 8, 28 says, and, and, and we know that all things, in all things that God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That may, I know there are things that have been left, there are legacy, maybe negative legacies that, that, you, that you've experienced that God wants to use for, his good, for your good and for his glory. It's not easy to wrap our minds around those things. And I, I, I love what Paul writes in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and then in 6, he says, Praise be to God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts, all, uh, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You skip forward to verse six. He says, if we are distressed, Paul's saying this about himself. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. And so Paul sees this. Maybe you've experienced, maybe you, you know those moments where you have experienced distress. Maybe you've experienced something that, that's been hurtful. And Paul's saying, and we can take on to this in the same way that Paul latches to it, says, hey, listen, those moments of distress, those moments of discomfort that you've experienced, the, the comfort that you've experienced in Christ, you want to pass that on to somebody else. And I, I hope that, that maybe because maybe, maybe there is something negative, there's, there's things that, have, that you look back on, the, the things that have happened to you in the past, and, and, and you can look back and say, God, you've comforted me in those. And if it hasn't happened yet, then I want, I want to say that God wants to comfort you. He wants to restore the things that have been broken, maybe in your life and your family in the past. He wants to bring restoration to those things so that you can experience comfort and you can share that comfort with others. So the legacy that you leave is not the legacy that was left with you. When you think about the great cloud of witnesses, it's not only those, those, maybe those negative things, but the positive things. And if you've been around me for a little while, 
you've been around here for a minute. I, I, I can't spend too much time on this because I, I don't really want to cry in front of you today. But there's a handful of people who have left a pretty significant legacy in my life. And I think about just with my, my grandparents specifically. I think about the legacy that they've left. And I, again, if you've been around me for a minute, you know that I, I believe 100% that I would not be right here where I am in the place that I, like, honestly, I don't wanna be in any other place in the world than right here. I don't believe that I would be right here had it not been for the prayers of my grandparents. So I think about the legacy that's gone before me, those, the legacy that's been left in me in those moments where, where I've, I've been tempted to walk in different directions or, or follow a path that I know is not what God has for me or for my marriage or for my family. And I, I think about that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds me today, those, my grandparents who have gone before me. And I think about the prayers that they've prayed for me. I think about the youth pastors that have invested time and energy into my life that have left a lasting legacy, Randy Riggins and, and other end of men and women that have left a lasting legacy in my life. And it allows me when I press pause to make a decision to say, okay, with these things that are in front of me, maybe the decisions that I have in front of me, I need to press pause and recognize those who have gone before me and the legacy that's been left inside of me. And am I living up to, by the strength of the Lord, by the, by the power of the spirit that lives inside of me, am I living up to the legacy that's been left inside of me? Not only do we have to press pause and think about the legacy that's been left for us, but I think that we have to press pause and think about the legacy that we're leaving. I, I, don't, I think, sadly, we don't get the fact that the way that we're living right now is a part of the legacy that we're going to leave. And I think the best thing for us to do is just to press pause for a moment. Say, what, what's going on right now in my life? The way that I'm living, is this, is this the legacy that I want to leave behind? There's some things that happened in my 20s that sadly you might can find on the internet that I don't want anybody to know about. If you read about somebody shooting me with a BB gun in the back, that, I, I don't know that ever happened. I don't remember that. I don't remember letting anybody do that. So I, if you want to find that story, I don't care. Not the legacy I want to leave behind. I shouldn't have said that, dang it. But the legacy that we, that we leave behind, where are we, what are we leaving in the people that are around us? I, I, I think about this when, when, when I kind of that pressing the pause a couple years ago, I, I did a, a practice that was kind of a, you know, a life planning kind of thing that I thought was really interesting. And I think it's very valuable just to kind of see where you are. It was truly a moment to press pause. And one of the activities was there was a handful of folks. You wanted to think about your parents and your, your spouse, your siblings, your, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, those kind of people, and write a eulogy of what they would say, what you want them to say at your, at your funeral. And I'm gonna tell you, y'all gonna say some awesome things about me as to what I wrote. My wife is going to praise, the, I mean, it's gonna be awesome. But part of it is as you write those things that you want them to say about you in this eulogy, the second half of it is what would they say now? And it was painful. The discrepancy between what I want them to say and what I believe they would say right now. And by God's grace, maybe that has maybe that has eased up a little bit. Where I, there's more of what I want them to say in the past three years that that I wrote down those three or four years ago. That I'm seeing more of that coming to fruition. But there's still a lot that I would say in my own life that that I want them to say that's not what they would say. So sometimes we just need to press pause and evaluate. 
the legacy that we're leaving. Because truly your legacy does start right where you are. It's already been, uh, it starts now and, 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 and things that you've done already is a part of that legacy. Not that it can't be redeemed, but it is a part of the legacy that you're leaving. I think you have to press pause and evaluate who you're listening to. Evaluate the stories that you're telling yourself. Maybe it's not just somebody else that you're listening to. Maybe it's the story that you're telling yourself. And this is where I, this is where I say practical. I'm going I'm, I'm to intentionally get in some of our backyards. Intentionally get in some of our mess. Because I, I'm, I'll tell you, and, and if you don't like it, that's fine. I've been in my own mess all week long as I've had to think about this. So if you don't like dealing with it, I've dealt with it all week long. So I, you can get over it. I've had to deal with it myself. I think we have to listen, we have to pay attention and evaluate who we're listening to, evaluate the stories we may be telling ourselves or that we're we're being told and ask some tough questions. And and here's one of those that I think is destroying us in ways that we don't want to admit. We've got to stop playing the comparison game. And listen, the comparison game happened long before social media. Social media did not create envy and jealousy. It wouldn't have been one of the Ten Commandments had, had it had to wait till social media, right? It, it, it makes it worse, I would say. I would say that there's some, some aspects of social media that makes it, that brings it to a, to a boiling point. But, but truly, envy and, and, and the jealousy and, and covetedness, all of those things, they've been around for a really long time. And we got to stop playing the comparison game because it's destroying you. It's destroying us. It's destroying our families. And we're leaving a legacy of, of want and not having all the things that we think that we need because we're looking at other people's things that they have and we're looking at the end of their story or the middle of their story. We're in the beginning of our story and we're not listening to the actual, the challenges that they have in their, in, in, in their lives. And I love social media influencers. If you're a social media influencer, more power to you. Do, make all the money you can influencing others, but listen to me. A lot of us are looking at social media influencers and even though even their edited lives and that, well, that edited life is not a real life. And even those moments when they're like, we're gonna tell you the, the, the real life behind and then all this, the, the bumps and the warts, they're still editing that to make it look good. And so if you compare yourself to them and compare yourself, your spouse to their spouse or, or your things to their things or their, your kids to their kids, listen, you're getting an edited version of all of those things and it's gonna warp the way that you think about the people that are in your life. And so if we listen to those voices, the legacy that we're going to leave behind is one of, of, of sorrow and sadness. We're gonna leave behind a, a legacy of, of want, of things that we don't really need. We didn't even know we needed it until they, saw, they showed it to us and all of a sudden we can't think about anything else. It's destroying us. So we gotta pay attention, press pause. I'm not saying get off of social media. It's a good idea. I've taken a break. We moved into a new house and it's ruining me again because I wanna look at all these projects that I'm never gonna do. Maybe it's a good idea to get off. I don't know for you. You, you determine that. But you got to press pause and pay attention to the, the, the stories that you're listening to. You got to pay attention to when you begin to think that the grass is greener on the other side and the stories that you're telling about your spouse. And I, I, I can, again, I can say this because I've been there and maybe I'm not supposed to say these things as a pastor, but I'm going to tell you that in those moments, when you begin comparing your spouse to another spouse, 
whether it's on social media or some other place, you're running down a road of destruction and a legacy that you're gonna leave behind that is not going to be good for your family. Sure, maybe your, your wife does not satisfy all the needs that you have in, in life, but maybe pressing pause and recognizing all the things that she does do is really, really good practice for all of us. Because we can't see all the things that they do because we can't get past the things that this one thing that we think that they don't satisfy, but we think that this person would. Maybe, maybe for you ladies, you keep looking at your husband and they, they don't do the things, they don't lead the way that you want them to lead or they don't, they don't, do, they don't provide the way that you want them to provide. But I, here, I bet you they are leading in some ways and I bet you they are providing in some ways that they know how. And I bet you the way that you're going to get them to do the things that you want them to do is not by nagging them about the things they're not doing, it's about celebrating the things that they are. And that goes for both sides. We gotta press pause and pay attention to what we're listening to, the stories that we're telling ourselves about the people that we love and that God's put in our lives about our kids and our spouse and our families. We gotta stop listening to these stories that are destroying us. We gotta press pause and realize the grass is not greener in somebody else's yard. We gotta press pause and recognize that we are simply getting blasted by an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. And we're just staring up in the sky, looking, like, looking at all these missiles like they're fireworks, when in reality, they are causing utter destruction all around us. They're not pretty, they're destructive. What the enemy is doing is not, is not cute. He's destroying your family. That's what he wants to do. He wants to steal the joy that you have in your marriage relationship. He wants to to. to to kill that intimacy that God created for you. He wants to destroy your family. And you're like, T, that's a little tough. Yeah, it is. Hopefully you're waking up to the reality that it's not fireworks, they're missiles. I'm gonna give, this is, this, these last two, I'm, I, I know I'm gonna, hurt, I'm gonna hurt somebody's feelings, but that's gonna be okay. You can come talk to me and get mad at me all you want to after it's over. Some of you, or on this path where you're telling yourself this story that the best thing for your family is for you two to separate. It's for you to get a divorce. That you're right on the cusp, that you've had that conversation. And I, listen, I know, I know I love you guys. I have some fr have friends in here that have walked through divorce and there are times when it is the right move for you to make because of, because of the biblical things that, that surround it, because there's abuse, because there's infidelity. Um, hopefully you've worked towards restoration, but there are moments when that happens and it is the, it, it, you need to move towards. But those are, those are not because you just don't get along. Grow up. There's lots of people that I don't get along with, but I don't get to leave the job that I'm working with. And I just want you to, listen, if you think, if you think for a second that the best thing for you to do, and I, listen, I, it is so hard for me to say this because I know that I'm gonna tick some of y'all off. If you think that it is the best thing for you to do for your kids, for you to get divorced, I'd like to, I'd like to let you sit down with some kids who have walked through a divorce. Just press pause for a second. And with 99% of those kids are gonna tell you that it was the worst thing that they've ever walked through. I have friends who are in their 30s whose parents are getting divorced and it is wrecking them in their 30s. 
if, there's, if the story that you're telling yourself is we need, and I know that there's probably a handful of you in this room that have told yourself this story at some point in the past year that it is time for you guys to separate or you need to, you need to get a divorce or the grass is greener with this person over here. Listen, press pause, repent, and press into that relationship. It may not, get, it may not be awesome next week. It may, be, it may be a couple years before it's restored but press pause on, that, on the, way, the, the way that you're going because the legacy you're going to leave is not going to be one that you want to leave. Last one. Some of you are not married yet. You're, you're going to date and you're going to find that hairy-legged boy and your dad is not going to like him for much, forever, maybe. I mean, there's always going to be tension, right? You may be young, young man, you're going to meet this beautiful girl and you're going to want to spend the rest of your life with her. And that is good. And that is what the Lord has for you. If, if they're godly men, you know, equally yoked, you're godly men and women. But I, I've watched this as a pastor and being able to do weddings. I've watched it time and time and time again, where they think, where these individuals are moving towards dating or they're dating and they're moving towards engagement and they're about to get married and they decide the best thing for them is to try life out together by living together. And I'm gonna tell you, it is not what God has for you. It is not the best of what God has for you. It's just not. And I, I, can, I can tell you from Christian, Christian uh, polls that have worked through this that, that it, the by and large, it does not help. Actually, it probably hurts more than it helps. And from non-Christian polls that have worked through these studies that have worked through it, that those couples that live together before they get married, they don't have any greater success rate than those who don't. Actually, again, more than likely, most would say that it's less of a success rate in marriage because it's not the best that God has for you. Now, I know our culture says it is. I know our culture and, and, and you maybe you have friends and family that you need to try it out. Maybe you need to know. Listen, it's not what God has for you. It's just as simple as that. And I love, my favorite argument is, well, it's just so expensive. I know, I know it's expensive. Listen to me. If God's called you to walk in holiness and this is a way that you're going to walk in holiness, then I promise that the God of all creation can provide for you to live separately for the time that you need to live separately in honoring him so that your marriage can be healthy. Don't sell him short. Watch him provide. Watch that. Let that be one of those things that you celebrate, that when it looked like we couldn't, we, we followed the Lord and look at the way he provided. Now, listen, some of you lived together before and, and man, that's redeemed. Like God, it, it, I, you can't, God can restore and redeem. You can, those, those things do not mean that you are the, that you're on a track record of end. And I know that some of, I know all of those things. I'm just telling you, if you're on the road where you're making that decision, stop, press pause. And let this be one of those things. As a, as a follower of Christ, where you say, I'm going to walk in obedience to you regardless of what the culture says, regardless of what my feelings say, because I know you want to, it would be great. I'm sure it would be awesome. But it's not what God has for you. It's not the best that God has for you. Let's move on. When we press pause, one of the things that we have to do is we need to press in. We need to press in. 
And that's the second thing, we kind of move back to the passage and kind of understand what we're talking about with pressing in. And, and a lot of times when we come to this idea and we talk about pressing in, I think what initially comes up is that y'all need to press into that relationship and do your best to fight for your relationship. And I, I, I agree, do your best to fight for your relationship. But I'm not talking about pressing into your relationship. I'm gonna take it a step before that. I'm gonna, the, the relationship that I want you to press into is the relationship that you have with Jesus. Because I think if we, if we press in, if we press pause and evaluate where we are in all of these places and we press into our relationship with Jesus, then I believe that what's going to naturally occur is that we're going to do, our, we're going to do what God's called us to do to press into the relationship that we have with our spouse or with your fiance or the person that you're dating. And so you come to this passage, what happens in this passage is Jesus kind of all, all of, in, in chapter 13, it begins what is the Olivet Discourse. And so, so 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is kind of these fine, uh, not Olivet, excuse me, is the, is the upper room discourse, is the kind of this last moments that Jesus has with his disciples. And, and he's kind of talking to them and sharing with them what life is like and what they're gonna, what, what, what's gonna happen over the next little bit. And so what Jesus tells them in, verse thir- in chapter 13, he begins with painting a picture of being a servant by washing their feet. And then he talks about Judas is going to be one who's going to, who's going to betray him. And they don't all realize what's going on, but then Judas leaves and it sets in motion all of the things that are going to happen. Everything kind of falls into place after Judas leaves. And verse 31 tells us now, Jesus says, now the son of God is going to be glorified, which means this, everything is set in motion where Jesus is going to end up in the, within the next, next couple of hours, Jesus is going to end up on a cross as a sacrifice that will be sufficient for our sins. Now, in the middle of that, before he predicts Peter's denial, who's like, I'm never going to deny you. He's like, oh, before the sun rises, you're going to deny me three times. and Rooster's going to crow. All of that. Right in the middle of that is verse 34 and 35. Right? Where Jesus says this, love one another the way that I've loved you. A new command I give you, love one another the way I've loved you. And, and this is going to be the marker. Everybody's going to know that you're, you belong to me by the way that you love one another. So right in the middle of this, this crazy, I mean, this is this, all of these things that are happening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean their feet, and then, then I'm going to talk about this guy going to betray me, and then Peter's going to deny me, is love one another the way that I've loved you. And, and you think about what Jesus said, the reason why this is a new commandment is because it, he's already told us love one another, right? But this added a part of it is that love one another the way that I have loved you. And just think about the love that Jesus has had for these individuals, especially Judas, that he sat at the table with, with a, a seat of honor at the table. And he's loved Judas until the very end. He's loving Judas. Those moments where he's washing the disciples' feet, the one that's gonna betray him, the one that's gonna deny him, and all the other ones, he's washing their feet. Love, love each other the way that I have loved you. Steadfastly, love each other the way that I've loved you in, in, in an ongoing way. Like it is, there's his steadfast love. He's, he's one that he loves us with, a, uh, with an unchanging love, an unfailing love. It reaches his love. It tells us in Psalms, reaches to the heavens. It comes, com- comforts us. It comes after us when we're running away from him. Love each other the way that I've loved you. And if that, it, it feels heavy, it should. And ultimately, we're just beginning to feel just how the weight of what Christ is calling us to, if it feels like what he's asking us to do is impossible because it really is on our own. 
And that's why I say press in, not first to your relationship with, with, with others, but to press into this relationship with Jesus, this love for Jesus and the love that he has for you. To press in and say, God, I need you to do what you've commanded me to do, to live the life that, it, that matches what you've called, what, what you've commanded and, and what, what it looks like to live in your kingdom with you as the king. It, this is an instru- not just an instruction, but a command to love others the way that you've loved me. In order for me to do that, I'm going to have to press into this relationship with you and rely on you for the love that you've called me to love others with. There's an old illustration that, that I think just, it, it warrants that kind of, and, and I think uh, last week, uh, if you were here, Mike and Angela talked about it, but, but we talked about just kind of fixing our eyes on Jesus when we love Jesus, when we give our attention to and, and all of our energy to, towards loving Jesus, and I do that and my spouse does that, then inevitably where we're going to go is we're going to meet there at Jesus, and I'm going to love her the way that she, is, the way that she deserves to be loved and the way that Christ has called me to love because I've got my eyes on Jesus, not because I've got my eyes on her. The first, the pressing in is to press into that relationship with him and to say, I need you to do in me what you've called me to do so that I can, so that I can love the way that you've called me to love. It's a pressing into that relationship with him because otherwise it's impossible. Otherwise it's impossible. And when we do that, when we press in, when we love when we press into this relationship with him by spending time with him in his word and in worship and spending time in community and, and growing in this relationship with him and that relationship grows and we, that pressing pause is only for a moment and then we press on. We press on. Jesus says that one of the, one of the commentators that I read in preparation this week uh, said this about uh, the disciples and and looking in verse 36 and beyond towards the end of the chapter, it says it's, there's something comforting to see how slow the disciples were to understanding Jesus's teaching and how reluctant they were to own their brokenness. And if Jesus could care for such as these, then there's hope for frail and faulty people such as we are. Jesus is a patient teacher a most wonderful and merciful savior. As in Peter's life, Jesus not only foresees the betrayal, but he also foresees the restoration. When it comes to pressing on, there's there's two things that I I want us to see. Just first, I, I I wanna be unpretending, which is maybe not a word. But I've, I've walked in too many circles where pastors and leaders in the church have acted like they have it figured out. And maybe you figured this out or maybe you've been fooled by it too. But we don't have it figured out. There's a reason why I don't let Rebecca come up here and talk about this because I ain't trying to let y'all in on all my garbage. But I don't have it figured out. Now that doesn't mean I'm throwing my hands up and I'm giving up. No, it means I'm pressing in to loving Jesus the way, loving Jesus and, and, and fixing my eyes on him and, and then loving others the way that he's called me to love them so, because that's the marker of a disciple of Jesus. But, but I want you to know that I don't have it figured out. I'm not at some plateau and I'm inviting all you to join me. Listen, I don't have it figured out. I'm walking this road with you. 
So I don't want to pretend like I have it. And, and, and I, I have some comfort in not pretending because scripture gives us clear, clear evidence that all of these guys that we put up on the pedestal, Paul and Peter and all these, they didn't have it figured out either. And God used them in some pretty mighty ways. So I can be a little vulnerable in those moments. I'm not going to tell you all the stupid things that I've done because that would be foolish. But I can tell you I don't have it figured out. I can tell you I'm pressing pause to listen to the things that I'm, the stories that I'm telling about my spouse and about myself. And I'm pressing into that relationship with Jesus so that in me, he can do what he's called me to do and to love others, especially my spouse, the way that he's called me to love them, the way that he loved me sacrificially as a servant. So I wanna be unpretending and say that I don't have it figured out, but I also wanna challenge all of us to be undeterred, to not give up to not face the challenges that we all face. Every one of us face these challenges. Don't give up. There's a special kind of joy when you do something that's really hard and you come out on the other side and maybe even though it was, even though it was hard, you, there was a success that followed it. There's a special kind of joy that comes on the other side of that, isn't there? If we always give up, we don't ever get to experience the joy of pressing on. And we started this, we're talking about the, that we throw off all these hindrances because of the great clouds of witnesses, the, those who have gone before us. And we, pre, we, we press pause because we wanna leave a legacy and we evaluate all those things. And we end in the second verse of Hebrews chapter 12, where it says this, listen to what, what it says, that we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy, who's the, pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God aren't you glad that Christ pressed on that he did not give up that he pressed on that he endured that for the joy of our restoration he endured the cross for the joy of, of restoring what was broken, what sin had, had, had destroyed, he endured the cross, scorning its shame so that we could be restored, so that we could then love others the way that Christ has loved us because he puts his spirit inside of us to give us all that we need to do the, the things that he's called us to do. So to live in love, it may seem impossible and it is if we try to do it on your own. But pressing in to that relationship with him, we can press on and we can be those who it says, the markers of what it means, the legacy that we leave for those that are around us is those who love others well. By this, they'll know that you're my disciples. By the way that you love one another. If somebody snuck into your house would they know that you're a disciple by the way that you love your spouse? Would they know that you're a disciple of Jesus by the way that you love your kids, by the way that you love your neighbor? By this, they'll know that you're my disciple, by the way you love one another. We know that Christ loved us completely. And on the night that he was betrayed, it says that he, he took the cup. And as we celebrate this on a regular basis, what we're celebrating is the fact that Jesus did endure he pressed on 
We celebrate that he pressed in and he loved us and he restored, he, he did everything that we needed, he, everything that was needed to be done so that we could have relationship with him. And so he says, this is my body that was broken for you. As often as you do, as you take of this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And so the disciples took that in recognition of what Christ had done for them. In the same way, at the end of the meal, he said, he said, he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant that my blood was shed for you. And this new covenant is one that, that is a new arrangement. And as often as you take this cup, as you drink this, this wine and this juice, that you would be reminded of Christ pressing on as his blood being poured out as a sacrifice sufficient for us, that he endured the cross, suffering its shame so that we could be restored. And so they took the cup and they... He says, often as you do that, do this in remembrance of me, which is truly pressing pause. A moment of pressing pause to remember those who have gone before us and the legacy that has been left in us of Christ's work for us, his blood shed for us. I wanna pray and we're just gonna sing one more song because it says, one of my favorite passages of scripture is that they left that place And from there, they went out and they sang together. On the way to Christ, on, on, after Christ established this new covenant, it says that they left that place and they sang together. So we're gonna sing together before we close uh, and exit this morning. So stand as we sing this song together. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.